I didn't make a statement. I didn't use profanity. I asked a question. Go to hell? That's what I want to talk to you about today is hell. It is a part of the Christian life. It is a part of God's plan and program. And uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. And I think that in the framework of all the things that we have been teaching along the lines of prayer and faith and uh, healing and all the other aspects of the Christian life, that we ought to examine this subject so that we'll have an accurate understanding if we already, if we don't already have that understanding. There are many people who do not have an understanding of hell. The first time that this thought came to my mind and the concern about it was some years ago, I was reading a national publication, a black national publication called Ebony Magazine. Uh, it is the premier publication among black people in America that really gives a, an understanding and an inside view and really treats the whole subject of black America uh, on a more in-depth basis than any other publication, at least. And uh, I was reading this magazine, and some years ago, they had an article in the Ebony magazine entitled, Whatever Happened to Hell? Whatever Happened to Hell? As many of you may or may not know, if you've been a Christian for any number of years, there was a time when the basic message of the church was, repent, get saved, or you're going to hell. You know, it was the fire and brimstone and the hell message. And uh, many people were scared into Christianity. And of course, that's all right. I mean, you, whatever way you get saved, you're going to be the better for it. <laughs> But uh, many remember that, and it was the fire and the brimstone and the hellfire and damnation. And uh, there wasn't a lot that was really said that was really traceable as far as the Bible is concerned to an accurate understanding of really what is hell all about. Well, I remember reading this article, and uh, it somewhat shocked me at the time. The, the article was, Whatever Happened to Hell?, and what had happened is that the writers of the article had taken a poll of the major religious black leaders of America at that time. Men like Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, many others. For some reason, his name was the, is the name that sticks with me more than the rest of them, I guess, because after that, he was so prominent in certain uh, affairs here in the United States that it's very difficult to forget his name, even though some other names were a part of that, and yet they kind of have... Uh, gone back into insignificance, but his name somehow continues to ring true in terms of remembrance. And so that's the reason I remember his name. But out of all of the people that were polled, and there were quite a few of them, and they all made their statements and gave their reasons as to why, in this article, whatever happened to hell, the consensus of opinion, if we were to epitomize or put into a nutshell what all of them said about hell, this is what it came to. This is what it, it, this is the essence of the article, that hell was a state of mind. It was not a place. Hell is here on earth. You make your own hell. This was the gist of the article, that hell was not a place. It was more of a state of mind. Same thing with heaven. You know, heaven was just, it was more of a state of mind. You know, it wasn't a place. And uh, I, I thought about that because I had always thought 
from the little bit of information that I had, which admittedly was very scanty information, that hell was, was a literal place. It was a place where, you know, if you, if you weren't a Christian, when you died, you was going there and you're going to burn forever. You know, that's what I'd been led to believe. Well, I wanted to find out. And I figured the best place to find out would be in the Bible and find out, really, what is this business about hell? Is hell really a real place? Is it not a place? Is it just a state of mind? Is it just some kind of a religious terminology that preachers created to scare people into the kingdom of God? Was it some scare tactic that God himself used to keep people in line, you know, like a baseball bat over your head? If hell is a place, where is it? It, 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 Who goes there? How how do you get there? How can you keep from going there? What's involved there? What's it look like? You know, what is hell? So I thought that it would be good at this point to, to just lay some stuff on you, as it were, and go into the Bible. Let's talk about hell, because, see, even though you may think you're not going there, or even though you think you may have missed hell, there are a lot of people out there that are not so sure about it. And once you understand about it, and even what little you know now, you know certainly you wouldn't want anybody that you love to end up in hell. And so by having an accurate understanding of it from the standpoint of the Bible, it will make it a lot easier for you to present your case to relatives and friends and others rather than just scaring them, you know, because this is an age of enlightenment that we live in. This is an age where academic excellence is portrayed all the time and people uh, have high regard for academic acumen. You know what I mean? You know, to be a dummy now and uneducated is not very uh, 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 kosher, as it were. But everybody's interested in education, getting a degree, going to college, and that's fine and that's all right. So when you make certain statements now, you can't just push stuff off on people. You can't just say, you know, don't go to hell. They want to know what is hell. You know, they want to get some answers on this thing. And believe it or not, the answers are right here in the Bible. And they're very simple and they're very plain. They just simply need to be delineated so that people can understand and know what it's all about. So we want to know what about hell. Go to hell? Well, let's find out. Hell may be a very nice place to go. You know, I mean, if you don't really know, maybe you've been getting some wrong information. Hell may be the place to go. You know, I mean, it's where all the folks are going. (laughs) You know, I mean, anybody of any note wants to get to hell because, I mean, that's where all my friends are. Well, I don't know. You see, you won't know that unless you really know what it is. So we want to talk about hell. Now, let's read here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, as somewhat of a backdrop for our subject. I just want to run some things by you. And then we're going to go on to delineate from the Bible some things concerning the idea of hell. I believe that it'll be a blessing to you. I believe that it'll add to your store of knowledge and information. I know myself, I want to know everything that there is that I can possibly know about what I'm into. I mean, and if hell has anything to do with me in terms of me being a person, then I want to know what part does it have to do with me. So if it is a, uh, a, a, a place to desire to go, I want to go. And if it's a place that I des- should desire not to go, then I don't want to go. And I want to know what I'm not going to. Because if I don't know, I might want to go to it after I find out what it's like. You follow what I'm saying? Have you ever had somebody tell you about a certain place, and when they, when they, when they mentioned it, they just talked the whole thing down, and you say, oh, man, you know, after hearing them, you didn't even want to go. And then something happened, and somehow you ended up in that place and had the best time you ever had. Said, what in the world was wrong with those people telling me how bad this, this man, this is the best time I've ever had. You know what I mean? And so many times, because of not having proper information, accurate information, we get distorted views of things. 
Well, I don't believe that we as the children of God need to have any distorted views about anything concerning God, about concerning Jesus, about the kingdom of God. We ought to accurately know what we are into and what we are about so that we don't have to be afraid because of ignorance. We can know that we know that we know what's going on and we can judge and govern ourselves accordingly. All right. Now, here in Luke's gospel, chapter 16, verse 19, it says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. In plain American street language, that means the dude was living high on the hog on a daily basis. Verse 20. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, it would help us in our discussion to define our terms because all of us have heard the word hell and perhaps have heard other friends of ours use it in other settings other than spiritual or biblical. Of course, I realize you have never used it that way, but you have heard people who have used it. And when they used it, they weren't talking about anything to do with the Bible. They had other things in mind when they used it. So I think that it would help our study if we would define the terms from the standpoint of the Bible, what they mean and what they don't mean. Now, it is interesting that the word hell, H-E-L-L, appears 12 times in the New Testament. 12 times in the New Testament. Now, the Greek meaning of the word hell or the original Greek word in the New Testament from which the word H-E-L-L -L is translated is the word Gehenna or Gehenna, G-E-Y-E-N-N-A or G-E-H-E-N-N-A, Gehenna or Gehenna. That is the word, the Greek word for hell or that's translated hell, the word Gehenna or Gehenna. In the Old Testament, or in the Hebrew, I should say, the word, same word hell, means Gehinnon, or Valley of Hinnon, or Valley of Tophet, T-O-P-H-E-T. -E That's the meaning of the word, either Hebrew or Greek. 
Now, as I said, the word hell appears 12 times in the English New Testament. Now, to show you the importance of that word to us and to the kingdom of God and to spiritual matters, it is interesting to note that out of the 12 times that the word is used, the Lord Jesus Christ uses the word himself 11 out of those 12 11 out of the 12, Jesus himself is the one that used the word hell. Out of 12 times where the word is used, the word hell or Gehenna, where it's used, Jesus Christ himself is the one that used it 11 out of those 12 times. Now let's look at some of the passages where the word is found. Notice Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew chapter 5. We will read several verses here. In the fifth chapter of Matthew, we'll look at verse 22. Verse 22. Now, Jesus here is speaking. And he says in the 22nd verse, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Shall be in danger of hell fire. Then look at the 29th verse of that same chapter. Jesus again is speaking. And he says, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Verse 30, and if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, there are three times where the word is mentioned. Now, look at the 10th chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. And we have Jesus again speaking here. And in the 28th verse of the 10th chapter of Matthew, Jesus says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's the word hell again. All right, let's look at the 18th chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. Now, in the 18th chapter of Matthew, we'll look at one verse and verse 9. And Jesus is saying almost, he's saying it in a different place, but he's emphasizing almost the same truth that we've already read, but I just wanted you to see because of the use of the word. Verse 9, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now notice in each one of these cases where we're using the word hell or where Jesus used the word hell, notice how he relates this word to fire. Notice he didn't say just hell, but why he adds this word fire to it. Hell, fire. Not just hell, but hell, fire. Just, just keep that in mind. Look at the 22nd chapter of Matthew or 23rd chapter, rather, Matthew 23. 
And uh, we'll look at another verse, actually two verses in this chapter. Matthew, the 23rd chapter, and uh, we will read verse 15. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Child of hell than yourself. All right, look at the 33rd verse of that same chapter. He says, Jesus again is speaking, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? How can you escape the damnation of hell? All right, let's look at Mark's gospel, chapter 9. Mark's gospel, the ninth chapter. Now, we're just locating the places now where the word is used so that we can see that it is a biblical word and be able to locate it when we need to. Mark chapter 9. And we will look at first the 43rd verse. Again, Jesus is almost saying the same thing that he said in, in um, Matthew. But I want you to notice that there's a little twist here. There's a little difference that the Holy Spirit brings out through the writing of Mark. Verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. That's a little different than he said in Matthew. He talked about hell and fire, but here he gives a little description about this fire. He says where the fire never shall be quenched. In other words, it will never go out. Verse 45 of that same chapter. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter in, enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Shall never go out. Verse 47. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Here's the word fire again associated with hell. Now, look at Luke chapter 12. Luke, the 12th chapter. In the 12th chapter of Luke, we want to look at verse 5. Luke 12, 5. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now here are 11 instances where the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaks of and uses the word hell. Notice that in the majority of these cases, he also associates fire with this idea of hell. Jesus did. It's not the preacher. Not the church. Not Fred Price. But Jesus Christ is the one that used the word and also associated it with the fire. Now turn to the book of James and we'll see the other instance in the English New Testament where the word hell is used. James and uh, we will look at chapter 3, 
James the third chapter, and we will look at the sixth verse, James 3, 6. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Now, there are the 12 references to the word hell. Now, in the English Bible, or let me put it this way, in the King James Bible, I happen to be using the King James, I think is probably the most renowned and certainly the most uh, read of the English translations of the Bible. In the King James Bible, there are several other mentionings of the word hell. I told you that there were 12 references where the Greek word hell appears in the New Testament. The word originally translated Gehenna or Gehenna. Now that word Gehenna actually is a place. I believe it was last year we went to the land of Israel, a group of us here from the church. And one of the things that I was very much interested in seeing was the Valley of Hinnon. And outside the wall city of Jerusalem is a valley. And uh, it doesn't look like too much today, but you can certainly see a very deep depression running along uh, outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. But this was a valley of renown in the day in which Jesus lived. And in where, uh, very much so in the Old Testament or back in the days of uh, the patriarchs. Now, the Valley of Hinnon was a geographical, physical place, Gehenna or Gehenna. And that valley actually was used as a city dump. Way back in the days of Israel, the Valley of Tophet was used as a place of worship to pagan deities. The fire worshipers who worshipped the god Moloch used to take their little children and put them in the fire and offer them as sacrifices, burn their children as sacrifices to their deity, to their pagan gods in the Valley of Tophet or the Valley of Hinnon. After that, the valley became a refuse heap, actually the city dump. And they would take the garbage and they would take the refuse and the trash and all of that, and they would take it out to this valley and they would burn the trash. Now, you will remember in some of the references that Jesus made about uh, eternal punishment, he used the figure of speech and he said, where their worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. Anybody ever remember reading that, reading those statements or hearing them? Well, now, Jesus, when he said that, he was talking about two things. First of all, he was talking about the literal place of the departed spirits of the dead. But then at the same time, he used figurative language that the people of that day could understand. So when he said where the where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, he was referring to the valley of Tophet or the valley of Hinnon, Gehenna or hell, because the people of the area would know what he was talking about and they would be able to relate to that. Because, see, for years and years and years, as a little child was brought up 
he would always see the smoke ascending from the perpetual flames, the perpetual fly, fires there in the Valley of Hinnon or the Valley of Tophet, the garbage pit. And many times if they were to make their way down into the valley, they would get near the refuse piles and they would see the maggots and the worms crawling around in the decomposed garbage and flesh. So they could relate to that. Yeah, I, I know what he's talking about where the worms are always crawling around and the fires never quit. Day and night, the fires were going to burn up the trash and to burn up the refuse. So he would use that as an illustration of what eternal damnation and punishment was going to be like because the people could relate to the valley of Hinnon. They could relate to the garbage pit. They could understand what he meant when he said the fire is never quenched because that fire was never allowed to go out. It burned all the time, perpetually, year after year after year, day after day after day. As long as there was refuge, as long as there, were there was garbage, the fires burned and the worms crawled around in the maggots in the decomposed flesh in the garbage. So they, they could understand that, see? They could relate to that. But now there's another word that you find translated in the New Testament. You find it translated H-E-L-L. -L. You find it translated hell. But it's not the same word Gehenna or Gehinnin. It's a different word, but unfortunately it has been mistranslated from the Greek. And in the English they translated hell, but it shouldn't be hell at all. Now let me show you what I'm talking about. There is the word H-A-D-E-F, Hades which is translated in the New Testament as hell, incorrectly translated. And then there is the Hebrew word sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And it has been uh, incorrectly translated as hell. That's the Old Testament counterpart to the New Testament, H-A-D-E-S, Hades. Now, this is a place, not outside the walled city of Jerusalem, not where garbage and trash and refuse is burned, but this is a place where human spirits go and where they are tormented in fire. Now, let me show you. You see, I've said this before, but it bears repetition relative to our subject matter. You see, there's more to you than just what's sitting on the bench right there. See, you are a spirit. You don't have one. You are one. You have a soul, and you live inside of a body. You will never cease to be a animated, alive, consciously thinking entity. You will never cease to exist. You will never be unconscious in terms of being aware of life. You'll always be alive. As long as God is alive, you will be alive as a spirit being. Now, your body might be dead, lifeless, breathless, not animated, but the real you. See, there's somebody that's living inside that house sitting there looking out through these windows. That's the real you. That part of you never dies, that spirit and soul. Now, when you die physically, your spirit and soul separates from this physical body. And it either goes to what is referred to, and we'll get into that later, as paradise, or you go into what is refer referred to commonly as hell. Literally, it's H-A-D-E-S, Hades. You go on to one of the two. Now, I, I, I hate to burst your bubble, and it is not, and I apologize ahead of time. It is not my intent 
it is not my desire to willfully step on anybody's religious or denominational toes. That is not my purpose. I have better things to do than upset you and make you mad at me. But I have to be honest. I have to be faithful to the ministry of the word of God. And I have to tell you what's happening, whether you like it or whether you don't like it. And so I'm going to have to say this. I'm sorry, but there is no such place as purgatory. There never has been. Only in the minds of certain men is there a place called purgatory. It is not in anybody's Bible. It is not in any translation of anybody's Bible. There is no place, no intermediate place, no place where you go from earth to purgatory and then to paradise or hell or Hades. When you leave this earth realm, when your spirit and your soul leave your body, you will go either of one or two places. One is either Hades or the other is paradise. What you do in this life relative to the son of God, Jesus Christ, will determine your ultimate goal. There is no intermediate place where you can go and somebody can pray you out of there into one or the other of these two places. It just ain't no such animal. I'm sorry. There is no purgatory. I'm talking about biblical. I'm not just talking about trying to be against somebody's denomination and just saying there ain't no such thing. I'm saying to you, get anybody's Bible from anybody's denomination in anybody's church, and there is no such place called purgatory. There is no such place as limbo. It's heaven or Hades. That are it. <laughs> there's no, there's no other place. I'm sorry. Now you think that I'm, you think that it's not important to talk about it. There are some people that have actually been deceived into believing there is such such a place called purgatory, and that people who die and they're not just quite good enough to go directly to heaven and be with God, they go to this intermediate place. Now, if we say enough prayers, we can pray these people out of purgatory. No, you can't. The main reason you can't is because there ain't no such place as purgatory. So how are you going to pray them out of some place that ain't? Then there's another group. Now you think we don't need to deal with this. But there's, some, there's another group that are at work right now while I'm preaching to you. Right now while I'm teaching you. They're standing on some corner or knocking on somebody's door. And they say that there is no such thing as you being or having a spirit and a soul that is separate from your body. They view you as a soul, period. And when you die, you cease to exist. All that you are, whatever that is, goes into the graveyard, into the casket, into the coffin, and you stay there unconscious, unknowing, unalive, if there is such a word, until the great day of judgment. Now, if you've done everything right, if you've knocked on the proper number of doors per week and stood on the right corners, then you, have, you are said to come up in God's remembrance. And when God thinks and remembers you, then he'll resurrect you and you'll come to life again. If you haven't done all things right 
and you are not acceptable to God, and you won't know that, of course, until God decides to remember you, then you will remain unconscious with no life forever. You just won't exist. It'll be like going to sleep and never waking up. That's what they teach. But we will find out that that's not true. It's not even true in their Bible. I can take their Bible and show you that it's not true. Printed by their publishing house. It's not even in that one. That's the thing that's so amazing how they could be deceived by a Bible that they themselves print and it doesn't even tell them that in there. That's something that the man told them and they believed the man more than they believed the Bible that the man wrote. Because if they'd read the Bible, they'd find out that that's not in there. We're going to find that out. But Hades is the place of the departed spirits and souls of those who physically die who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Ah, there the preacher goes again, using the scare tactics on us, trying to scare us into the kingdom of God, trying to use hell on it. Hey, wait a minute. We're not trying to use scare tactics on you. We're trying to use fact tactics on you. We're trying to give you the truth that'll make you free. We're trying to tell you what the Bible really says so that you don't do like that rich man one day suddenly wake up and say, hmm, what's all this, what's all that sulfur smell? What's all this heat doing? I didn't somebody turn the air conditioning up. There ain't no air conditioning. It'll be too late for you. That's why we're telling you. We're not trying to scare you. We're trying to inform you. When you drive down the highway and come to a bend in the road and there's a huge yellow sign with an arrow saying, slow down, dangerous curve. The highway people are not trying to scare you, dummy. They're trying to warn you don't go around that curve too fast or you're going off the road and break your neck. They're not trying to scare you. They're trying to warn you. And so when the Bible uses these terminologies, God is not trying to scare you. He doesn't want you to become a Christian out of fear. He wants you to become a Christian out of love. But he wants to show you what's going to happen on both ends of the scale so that when you make your decision, you will know that you know that you know that you have chosen that. So when you wake up there, you won't be mad at somebody else and say, my God, somebody tricked me. It'll be your fault, tiger. Your fault. Now, the word Hades in the New Testament refers to the place of the departed spirits of the dead. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew the 11th chapter. Now the word hell that we're getting ready to read now, we haven't read these. These were not included in that first list of 12 references that we gave you. These are other places where the term hell is used, but it's incorrectly translated. It should not be hell. It should be H-A-D-E-S, Hades. And it is also a geographical place. We're going to find out where it are, <laughs> where it is in a little bit. Now, in Matthew, the 12th chapter, we want to look at verse, Matthew 11 chapter, rather. We want to look at verse 23. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, and thou Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Underline the word down. Because the word down describes a direction. It's a very important designation. It says down. It doesn't just say thou shalt be brought to hell. It says thou shalt be brought down to hell. Now that word hell there should be H-A-D-E-S. Hades. 
Now notice what he says. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. All right, let's look at the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 16. In the 16th chapter of Matthew. Now watch and listen very closely because we're going to learn some very important aspects about this place. In verse 18, Jesus again is speaking and he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Underline the word gates. Doesn't say hell shall not prevail, but it said the gates of hell. Gates of hell. Remember the designation down, and remember the designation gates. Gates of hell. The word hell there is the word in the Greek, H-A-D-E-S, Hades. Not hell, but gates of Hades. All right, let's look now at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. In the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we will look at verse number 15. He's speaking again and saying basically the same thing. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shall be thrust. Now, he uses the word this time, thrust. Brought down, thrust. Thrust down to hell. The word hell, again, is the word Hades. Look at the 16th chapter of Luke while you're right there. We read this when we went through at the very beginning, but I want to center down on one specific thing here. Luke 16 and verse, chapter 16 rather, and Luke 16, 16th chapter and the 23rd verse. It says, and in hell, now listen to this, and in hell, that is Hades, H-A-D-E-S, and in hell he lift up his eyes. 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 I thought when you died, you were dead. I thought they said that was the end of it. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, and earth to earth. That's the end. But it says, and in hell, Hades, he lift up his eyes, being in torment. In fact, it doesn't say torment. It said torments, plural. Now, you can't be tormented if you're not conscious. You can't be tormented if you're not alive. I couldn't torment this pillar. It has no life. You can't torment that pillar. You have to be a human or an intelligent thinking being, and you have to be alive. But he said, and in hell or Hades, he lift up his eyes being torment, torment being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So there was consciousness in this place. Wherever it was, the man was conscious. He could see and he could feel. He said, I'm, be, I'm in torments. All right, let's look at another passage. Acts chapter 2. 
Now, in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, this is on the day of Pentecost. The apostle under the apostle Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is preaching. And in the process, he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of his ministry and in terms of his redemption, his redemptive work at Calvary. And he makes a very interesting statement here. In the second chapter of Acts, we will look at verse 27 first, Acts 2.27. He says, because thou, and he's, he's quoting from what David, the psalmist, by revelation and inspiration was saying concerning the Lord or Jesus Christ. And he says this in the 27th verse, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. The word hell there is the word H-A-D-E-S, Hades. Not Gehenna, not the Valley of Hinnon, but another place. Another location. Thou will not leave my soul in hell or Hades, neither will I suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see, Jesus did not, his body never did corrupt. That's the reason why he was raised immediately after the third day. Your body begins to rot and decompose after the, on the fourth day. After four days, the body begins to decompose, begins to rot away. And the Bible said prophetically that Jesus body would not see corruption. So he was raised from the dead right immediately after the third day. If you will remember reading in the, the uh, uh, 11th chapter of the Gospel of John concerning the man Lazarus when he died, when Jesus arrived at Nazareth or arrived on the scene, it said that Lazarus had been in the grave. The sister said, Lord, you can't raise him up now. He's been dead four days. His body is already stinking. It's already rotting four days. But see, Jesus' body never rotted. It never saw any corruption. Right immediately after the third day, his body was raised. He saw no corruption. All right, now while you're right there, look at verse 31, Acts 2.31. Going on to speak, Peter says, He seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. Well, wait a minute now. now. Now watch this, listen. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not left in hell. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not left in hell. I beg your pardon? He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not left in hell. Where did they put Jesus after they killed him at Calvary? In a grave, in a tomb. So then that means then that that grave or that tomb is not hell, not according to this scripture. Because it didn't say anything about his body. It said his soul. All right, listen. He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. Neither his flesh did seek corruption. Jesus' soul and spirit, because spirit and soul go together, you really can't separate the two. They like the wet with the water. If you get the water, you get the wet. You can't shave off the wet and just have the water. You got the water, you got the wet, because that's the characteristic of water, which is wet. <laughs> that's like the spirit and the soul. They go hand in hand. We'll, we'll separate them sometimes to talk about them and define their operation, but they go together. Whenever you got the soul, you got the spirit. Whenever you got the spirit, you got the soul. They go together. But the two of them can be separated from the body. And that's what happens at physical death. The spirit and the soul, the wet and the water, are poured out of the glass. And the glass is placed back on the shelf of the grave. Your glass is like your body. 
but you can pour the water out of the glass. Still got the glass, clean it up, put it back on the shelf. But the water is gone and the wet's gone with it. Spirit and soul are separate from the body. All right, now notice, he said, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or in Hades. All right, turn to the book of Revelation. So we see then from that passage in Acts that apparently the thing that goes into this place called Hades is souls and or spirits, not bodies. Because we know where the body was. The body was in the tomb, in the garden tomb. And that was just a few feet under the ground. That wasn't anywhere else but right there, a little bit below the surface of the ground. And it wasn't called hell. It was called a tomb, it was called a grave, but it wasn't called hell, or Hades, H-A-D-E-S. All right, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, we have the account of the apostle John, who had been banished to the concentration camp on the island of Patmos for the word of God and for his testimony concerning Jesus Christ. And he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he had a revelation. And this is what... Jesus, who appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos in this vision, Jesus appeared to him and said something very important to John and something very important to us relative to the subject that we're studying. In the 18th verse, or verse 17, and when I saw him, this is John's description, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. I have the keys. The word key means authority. Now, notice what he said. He said, I have the keys of hell. That word is H-A-D-E-S, Hades. What would you need a key for? Because there are gates to hell. Remember, Jesus said the gates of hell. Jesus has the key to the gate. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you need a gate? Well, the reason you need a gate is to secure the wall. Why do you need a wall? To either keep folk in or to keep them out. All right. Luke chapter 16 describes... Hades. Let's go back to it again. We started out with this, but we want to go back to it and look at it now. Luke 16. It describes Hades. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was full of his, or which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell... For in Hades, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, plural, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. 
Now, nobody can argue about whether there is fire or flame in this place called Hades. This man was there. Now, some people say, yes, Brother Price, but of course you realize that this is just a parable. It is a parabolic illustration. All right, let me ask you this question. Was Jesus a man who was consistent in his teaching? Or was he a man that changed directions and went first one way and then another way to leave you in confusion? No, he was a man that was consistent in his teaching. If this were a parable, then it is unique among all the parables that Jesus taught because he taught many of them. This one is very unique. It is so radically different from all of the other parables that I can't figure out or understand why would Jesus make such a grand departure in the style of his teaching with this one story when he didn't do it with any other story. Well, Brother Price, what is that grand departure? The departure is that this is the only story that he ever taught or ever told where he used anybody's name. And all the rest of them, he said, a man went out and bought a field. A man found a pearl of great price. A woman lost a coin. A man or shepherd lost the sheep. He never says anything about anybody's name. But in this story, he used the name of Abraham and he used the name of Lazarus. Why tell the name and why use a name if it didn't have some relevancy to a real life situation relative to the people that he was telling the story to who could relate to that and remember that man Lazarus and understand the story or the illustration or the truth that he was trying to bring out of it. The name would be irrelevant and immaterial. Why tell me unless it had some relationship to real life events why tell me that the name of the guy that lost a coin was george unless i could remember oh yeah i remember george lost that coin man burned down the neighborhood trying to find that coin well i could relate to the story other than that this don't need to tell me that the man that lost the coin's name was george his name wouldn't mean anything wouldn't make any difference but why tell me that this man who died the beggar's name was lazarus unless the very people that he was speaking to at that time, Jesus wanted to impress upon them. They knew about the rich man named Diabetes. You don't get his name here in the English Bible, but his name was Diabetes. You don't get, you, you, the, the people could understand what he was talking about. They remember that rich man. They remember that fellow that used to live high on the hog, as it were. He's living fat every day. And they remember that old beggar. Every time he passed down the street, that old beggar would be out there in front of that man's iron gate with his little cup out. And they remember seeing the dogs come by and feel sorry for him and go and lick his sword. That story would have an impact upon them. This is the only story that Jesus ever used where he used somebody's name. I do not believe that it's a parable at all. I believe that it is a real life, actual, accurate illustration of that place beyond the grave that every person is going to go to who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and that the reason that it's in there is to let you know that's one place you want to avoid at all costs. Because if God is going to be just, he's going to both have to give us a description of heaven and a description of the other place that's opposite to heaven or else we don't have any choice. And if we don't know what the other place is like, we don't know whether we want to go there or go to heaven. Hell could be better than heaven. Hades could be better than heaven. We would never know if we're not told about what's there, but we hear about the glory, about the light, about the peace, about the harmony, about the tree of life, about the waters of life that are in the city of God. We hear about all the beautiful foundations of precious stones and the gates of pearls and the streets of gold. We see and hear about the lamb who is the light thereof. We hear about the fact that there's no night there. We hear about the fact there there'll be harmony and peace and the 
the lion and lie down with the lamb, praise God. But in that other place, in that other place, there's torment and there's fire and there's darkness. And here this man says, oh, please, Father Abraham, send Lazarus down here and let him dip his hand, his finger, just his finger in, a, in some water and cool my tongue for I'm being tormented in the flames. Well, Brother Fry, did he mean literal flames? Hello. And don't really care. Don't plan on going. So I wouldn't waste time arguing. The man was there, and this is an account of the man's reaction to the play. Whatever it was, if it was ice cream or cream puffs, it was tormenting the man. And if it's cream puffs that torment, I don't want no such kind of cream puffs. Huh? The man said, I'm being tormented. So we have a description of what this place is like. Fire. Torment. Then he goes on to say, probably during his lifetime he didn't care anything about his family or anybody else. But suddenly he remembers, I've got five brothers. Oh my God, he said, in essence, I don't want them to come to this terrible place. And so he says, verse 27, then he said, I pray thee, Therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So apparently, that place is a place of torment. That's Hades. That's the place. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's where you're going when you die. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to inform you. I mean, you might as well know where you're going. So when you get there, you won't be surprised. Huh? You know, my wife and I went, we went on a vacation this past summer, and, and I went to a travel agency, the place in the area of the world that we had gone, that we were going to. We'd never been there before. And so I didn't know anything about it, so I figured I could trust this travel agency. There's one of the largest in the world. And I went to the travel agency, and boy, they got brochures of the place, and I mean the brochure was so beautiful. And ooh, I looked at that thing and said, ooh, isn't this something? Boy, this is going to be out of sight. So I said, I want the best accommodations. I want to go first class. And the girl arranged the thing, and we got confirmation from the hotel. And oh, I mean with baby. Breath, I could hardly wait for the airplane to land there in Puerto Rico where we could get a cab and go to this hotel. Oh, I had the picture up there, the picture of the hotel, and they described the restaurants there and what super kind of food this place this place has had. Oh, man, I was so excited. I didn't know what to do. I could hardly wait till I got to the place. And we got to that place, and it was a dump. <laughs> Pitiful. I wouldn't let my dog stay there. See, what had happened, they'd taken the picture about 12 years ago, see? And they're still using the brochures from 12 years ago. And the place just was, uh, was unkept. It could have been a beautiful place. You follow what I'm saying, but it was unkept. I mean, I was just disappointed in the place. In fact, I didn't even unpack my bags. I just lost the deposit. I said, man, just keep your money. Give me, here's the key. Let me out of here. And I called up another place and went to another hotel and stayed. But you see, I was disappointed. See, I had the picture. I thought it was one thing, and then I got there, and it was something else. See, you need to know. So when you get there, you won't be disappointed. Because I'll tell you what, you ain't going to be able to forfeit your deposit and get out. You're going to be there for the duration. So you better know ahead. And all we're trying to do is inform you. If you're going to go to hell, I think you ought to know what you're going to. If you're going to live in, in, in Hades eternally, you ought to know what it's like. I want you to know now. There's no air conditioning. 
You might as well know it. No, I would hate for you. I'd hate for you to get there, sister, and then not know what's going on and be surprised at, oh, my goodness, I thought I was going to come to an air-conditioned place, and they ain't got no air conditioning here, and just think you're going to be there for eternity. You're going to be there, well, not for, I shouldn't say eternity. You're going to be there until you get to the lake of fire. We, we, we're going to get into the lake of fire later. Hades is not that. Hades is a playground. That's just a playground area. Oh, there's a place worse than Hades. Oh, there's another place. We haven't gotten into that. We're going to get into that a little bit later on. But that's just, a, that's just a playground area. But the man said, I am being tormented. He said, I don't want my brothers to come here. It's a place. All right, now, where is it? Is it the North Pole? I mean, where is it? I mean, if it is a place, it's got to have a location. Where is it? Can we find out where it is? Well, we can. We can find out exactly where it is. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> Getting anything out of this? Matthew chapter 12. In the 12th chapter of Matthew, and uh, verse 39. Now remember when we read in there, Jesus says, shall be brought where? Down to hell. All right, notice Matthew 12, 37. 1239, rather, let's begin, let's read it, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth. You wouldn't call the garden tomb the heart of anything. The garden tomb was just a very a hole in the side of a hill and a few steps down into the tomb part where you put the body. You wouldn't call that the heart of the earth. The word heart is being used as a figure of speech. And whenever anybody uses the word heart as a figure of speech, you know what it refers to. If we said the heart, what's the heart of the problem? What do we mean? We mean the center and core around that around which everything else revolves. When we say the heart of the million, what do we mean? The very the very center and core of the million. When the Bible uses the term and when Jesus said in the heart of the earth, he meant the center and the core of the earth down in the middle of the ground. This is a very large piece of property, whether you know it or not. It's 25,000 miles around the equator. And if you left the North Pole in a straight line to the South Pole, you'd be traveling for a few days. It's a long distance. And it's interesting, if you leave the realm of spiritual things, if you leave the realm of the Bible, if you leave the realm of the things of God and just get into the natural, just deal with uh, geology, if you would. It is very interesting that the geologists tell us that the further down you go, the hotter it gets. And then they try to con us with the idea about, well, the earth is still cooling. And then they tell us the earth is 50 million years old. I mean, how long does it take for the thing to cool down? And it is interesting that since the days that they first began to measure the core of the earth, since they began to measure it up to the present time, there has been no diminishing of the heat factor. It's just as hot today as it was when they first started measuring. So that tells me that the thing ain't cooling. Hmm? The further down you go, the hotter it gets. Isn't that coincidental? The man said, I'm being tormented in the flame. Interesting. 
All right, let's look at Ephesians now, chapter 4. This concludes part one of hell, as Dr. Fred Price Sr. puts it. Hell, with a question mark on the end. But the message is actually, does hell exist? If so, how can we avoid it? And I think part one confirmed that hell does exist. How can you avoid it is by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Part two will be coming up, I would say, tomorrow. I'm going to put part two online tonight, but some of you may get it tomorrow. And I hope this message has been a blessing to you. It's the truth that set man free. And I am your host of Dr. Kamala D of Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. See you next time.